bath. That was the, the first time I did a baptism with the bubbles going, so that was temptation for me and Lauren Ken just to hang out there for the service and enjoy it a little bit. So I was in a conversation several years back, like 20 years back, and it was with an older pastor. I was actually a leader in the church, but not a pastor yet. And he was complaining a little bit. He was complaining about the younger generations, of which I was one of the folks, right? So I was taking a little bit personally, but listening to him. And he had, and he had a complaint. Really, um, two words were the focus of his complaint. One complaint was the idea of reverence. He was saying the younger generations do not have a sense of reverence for God. There is no, in, in their conversation about God, in their prayers to God, in their worship of God, no sense of the fear of God in them. And then the second word that he was focused on with the younger generation was friendship. And he said, we, we shouldn't refer to God, the, the creator and the sustainer of the universe, as our friend. No, he's God and we are not. That, that he and Jesus as well shouldn't be referred to as our friend. He, he's our savior. He's our Lord. Now, I got the sense that he wasn't really looking for a discussion. We really don't when we're like complaining, do we? We're not, we don't really want someone to talk to us about our complaints. We just want to complain, right? So, but I, I was taking that in and, and I remember thinking and reflecting on, on his two words. And the first word, the idea of reverence, I thought, yeah, that, that's probably true. That's probably true of me and my friends. And, and, and I, I always want to remember that God is God and I am not. And I, and I want that healthy sense of the sacred of reverence. But on the other side of the spectrum, the idea of friendship, I remember having a great sense of disappointment. And I thought, is that... I've related to God as a friend, especially Jesus Christ. Am I wrong in that? Have I missed that? Do you remember uh, the old song some of you would remember? Uh, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. I thought, is that not right? Is that another worship song that is off theologically? Should, should I not be singing that? And I remember in particular, I had been through a really difficult time and I really had clung to Jesus as my friend in that particular time. And so I decided I better turn to scripture and, and see, am I wrong? Um, or um, is that really, do I get to see God both in that dynamic of reverence, of God as well as friendship and closeness. So would you turn with me? We are going to find this in the scriptures. We're gonna look at John chapter 15. If you've brought your Bibles, wonderful. There are some Bibles in the seats in front of you. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you a little bit up front. 
we get to call God our friend. All right, so that's, yeah. But I want you to pay attention for more, all right? Because what we're gonna see is not only do we get to call God our friend, but there's also implications to that. Who knows, the, the, depending on the friends that you choose, there's implications for your life. If you are real close and connected to a drug dealer, is there gonna be implications for your life? Yes. If you are married and a companion with a billionaire, is there going to be implications for your life? Absolutely, okay? So, so God is going to share this concept and idea of friendship with him. I think you're going to really, it's going to be neat. And yet what I want you to do is I want you to pay attention to Jesus' words as he talks about the implications of what this friendship means. So we're in John chapter 15, and we're going to start at verse 9. Some of you might remember a number of uh, weeks ago, we were talking about Jesus claiming he is the vine and we are the branches and we're to stay connected to him. And we're going to continue on in verse 9 this idea of connection and the level of connection and how we remain or abide in his love. He says this in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. Remember, we noticed how powerful it was that he was talking about his relationship and the level of intimacy with God. He's offering that same intimacy with you and I. Verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You, have, uh, you are my friends, if you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Boy, he's repeating this a lot. For everything that I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will grant you, will give you. This is my command, love each other. Wow. This isn't something that we have to like plead and ask, God, could I please not only be a worshiper and have reverence for you, but could I also be a friend? No, no, no. This wasn't my idea. Whose idea of friendship with God? Whose idea was it? It was the Father's, it was, it was God's, it was his plan, his desire that we would both be worshipers and lovers of him. 
but also that we would call him friends. There's implications. I asked you to be mindful of implications, a few key words to help us think about what the implications of friendship with God is. The first word is this, is intimacy. If we are friends with God, there's a change that he invites us in our relationship with him. One of mere obedience to intimate friendship. Mere obedience. So we don't follow. When God says jump, you say, how high? Is that some of our relationships with God? He says, no, I don't want that. I, I, I want this connection in our intimate relationship for you, I'm inviting you into this level of intimacy between me and you. Now, one of my immediate thoughts as I read this passage of scripture, I know it was some of yours, meet the parents with Ben Stiller. Yes, did some of you think right of way of that? No, that's... There's this concept in Meet the Parents called the, the circle of trust. Anyone familiar with the circle of trust? Robert De Niro's, yes. And when Ben Stiller's character is trying to marry into the family, Robert De Niro's saying, okay, but now you're entering the circle of trust. I just happened to find a compilation of the circle of trust. It's really fast. It's worth taking the time. Did we get it? Do we have it? Yes, let's go. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the Burns Family Circle of Trust. See, if I can't trust you, Greg, then I have no choice but to put you right back outside the circle. And once you're out, you're out. There's no coming back. Mm. Well, I would definitely like to stay inside the circle. You have my word. I'm going to hold you to that. Circle of Trust. Guess who's back in the Circle of Trust? I like to think of it as a little circle of trust. That circle of trust thing, that's mine. That is true. I mean, I am still in the Burns family circle of trust, right? You're firmly in the circle. Finally. <laughs> Let me put it very simply. If your family circle does indeed join my family circle, they'll form a chain. I can't have a chink in my chain. Hmm. Yeah, okay. I get the metaphor. Greg, you're still in the circle of trust, so I'm going to give you one more chance. That's it. We're starting our own circle of trust. And guess what? You're not in it. Well, you can't start a circle of trust. It's my circle. You know what? You don't have a patent on the circle, Jack. And by the way, you're not even in your own circle right now. That is untrue. I say who's in or out of the circle. Well, I'm confused. Whose circle am I in? It's worth it. Just a little bit of, uh, right? I think they were circling around that. So, oh. so as we turn to Christ... Jesus says, I, I am inviting you into a level of intimacy, a level of fellowship, a level of communion, a level of discussion 
That, that, that's, I, I no longer am going to call you mere servants because that's really not the hallmark of our relationship. I'm inviting you. Aren't you glad you're not in, in Robert De Niro's circle of trust and in God's circle of trust, right? He's saying, I'm inviting you in that way. Um, it's interesting that friendship with God is not just translated through Jesus, did you know that's an Old Testament concept as well? Moses. That he, he calls Moses a, a friend or there's implications of friendship. God refers through the prophets to Abraham as a friend. And then um, the, a little known character named Enoch. He was said to walk with God. I like the New Living Translation that just a, a real short reference to Enoch, it says this. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship, or he walked with God. I, I like how they use the idea of close fellowship. That's what I mean. As Adam and Eve walked with the Father in the garden, so Enoch walked in close fellowship with God. And in fact, in the Hall of Fame... Right, the, the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11, the Hebrews author brings up Enoch and he says this. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. I like that passage of scripture because what the, the author of Hebrews is he's holding up Enoch as an example to you and I. He's saying just as Enoch walked in this close fellowship with God, just as he was seen as a friend with God, so close with God that he didn't even die, that God just brought him up so you can walk in that close fellowship with God. You can be friends with God. It takes faith. It takes believing, it takes trusting, it takes seeking, all those things. But you realize this friendship with God is available to you and I through Jesus Christ, right? He says, I died for my friends so that we could be friends with him. You get that profound connection, this offer. That's the, in the Old Testament, it was just the leaders like Moses, like Abraham, like Enoch, that got to walk in close fellowship with him. Now, each and every one of us whom Jesus Christ died for has the Spirit of God, and we can walk in close fellowship with him. Jesus died for his friends so that we might be his friends. See that? So it begs a question, doesn't it? Simply put, are you walking in that level of friendship with God? Or is it still a routine and a ritual of the faith? Now, sacred rituals and routines and habits really good stuff, 
right? We can use those to grow in intimacy with God, right? But he's offering more than simply routine and spiritual practices. I want to give you, I don't know why, but he put on my heart somewhat of a negative example, okay? So I have a friend, he doesn't live in state, um, he's out of state, you will not know him, but he, um, I was trying to walk with him as he uh, was accused of a white collar crime and he was facing a jail time. He copped a plea and uh, was going before the judge to receive um, a, uh, a jail sentence and he is in jail right now. And there was a window uh, of what the, the judge could do in terms of minimum to maximum and uh, I never saw my friend cling to the Lord so hard. He, he was really praying, was asking, praying. I'm trying to walk with him in that. We went to uh, the court case. This was a number of years ago. And uh, the judge gave him the maximum sentence. And we were outside of the courtroom. And I saw him walk over to the garbage can, take his Bible and put it into the garbage and go to the restroom. So I went into the restroom and as I really prayed and continued to pray, I, I tried not to be too harsh on the assessment of my friend. It was a tough sentence, a stiff sentence. In fact, it was his sister who was there that she retrieved his Bible from the garbage can and said, he's going to want this. He's going to want this. And, and I realized that, um, that his relationship at that moment was something that he could do for God and what God could do for him. And I was praying, and I continue to pray, that it becomes more of a companionship and a friendship that regardless of the sentence, he's inviting God to walk with him in close fellowship. That the, the results of the outside world, the circumstances of the outside world will not have such a devastation on his faith. By the way, he's walking with the Lord right now. Still praying for his faith. Yeah, isn't that good? He's walking with the Lord. He's um, still praying that he would grow in that um, close companionship, friendship with Jesus and the Father and the Spirit. So implication one is intimacy. You are invited into, you are not outside the, the circle of trust. You're inside the circle of trust. Here's another word regarding implication. I would say ownership. Ownership. From worker, mere worker, to ownership. Or another way to put this is that you get to be part of the family business. This is what Jesus was meaning when he said... And look at verse 15 again with me. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what? His master's business. 
you go, not only the circle of trust is about intimacy, but it's a, you get to know what's up in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus makes this incredible statement right after that. Um, a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. He's saying all that the Father has instructed me, all the ins and out of the kingdom, all the dynamics and relationships in the kingdom, how to live this life well. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not going to keep you in the dark. I'm revealing all of that to you. When you become a Christian, a follower of Christ, you come into the know. Isn't that amazing? Incredible? That, that you become an owner, you get involved in the work. Let me put it this way. My, my mom, she worked for a social service agency called Aunt Martha's, okay? And one summer between college, I was a big brother to foster kids. It was a really neat job, certainly didn't pay well. But it was a neat job, and I got to care for foster kids and, and walk with them. Now, I wasn't too committed to Aunt Martha's, the social service agency. It was where my mom worked, and, and I was really just committed to the foster kids that were there, okay? Another time, when I was actually younger, my parents started a business, a family business, a Dannon yogurt health food store. This was, I'm not making this up, it was in the 1970s, right? And um, we were probably about 10 years before our time, maybe even 20. But it was the, it was the first time I ever had uh, soft-served yogurt was when I was helping. And it was a whole family affair, right? We cared about whether this went because my parents, along with an aunt and uncle, were investing in this new business. And so even though I was only in grade school, I gathered my friends and we handed out fly um, all in the surrounding neighborhoods to, to work up the business. My, my uh, siblings that were a little bit older, they put on a panda suit. I still remember that. And were out, you know, with the panda. Before there were sign flippers, they were panda uh, trying to get people to come in. We were invested. We cared about the Dannon health food store, right? The kingdom of God is not like the Aunt Martha's where I was just working a job. The kingdom of God is like the family business. He's saying, you're no longer a servant, a worker. You're, you're on the inside. Welcome to the family business. You get to be a part of the kingdom business. That, that our father is on the move. It's a non-for-profit business, right? But he's trying to, to spread the most incredible message on the face of the earth. He's trying to let people who are far from him know how desperate he loves them and invites them into fellowship and friendship with him. That no matter what we've done in our lives, no matter what mistakes, the grace and mercy of God are available to us. And he's saying, that's the family business. 
Are you willing to put a panda suit on the corner and invite people in? You understand? There's a, a, a beautiful point in uh, the Old Testament, uh, an amazing story. It's where Abraham is sitting in his tent and three strangers come along. Some of you recognize the story. I'm actually going to preach it in the new year as we walk through the life of Abraham. And these, these three uh, strangers, we find out later, two of them are angels. And you know who the third person is? He's the Lord. Many people would argue that he's, it's Jesus in the Old Testament, okay? And so he invites them and he, and he blesses Abraham um, he tells them uh, of Abraham's promise that you will be a great nation. Sarai laughs, right, because she's an older woman beyond childbearing ages. And then so they, they reestablish the promise. And then the three visitors get up and they're walking down their way. And Abraham, after he had uh, given hospitality and fed them, he's walking with them. And then Abraham asks the two angels, or uh, the Lord asks the two angels a very interesting question. Let's read this interesting question. He says, when the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Do you, do you get what he's asking here? He's asking the angels, what do you think? Should I bring Abraham in on the no? Should I invite him into the discussion of kingdom business? He's gonna be a part of us. And in a fascinating dialogue, Abraham begins to advocate for the city of Sodom. And he says, well, if I found, and he goes down a certain number of people, faithful and righteous, would you spare the city? And God's like, okay. All right, and he, and so he's like, so he's not treating Abraham like the servant. And by the way, I'm just letting you to know because this is what I'm gonna do. But he invites Abraham into this business discussion. Like, like he's part of the business. He's part of the family. He's saying, Abraham, what do you think? And he listens to Abraham. He dialogues with him in that way because Abraham is part of the family business. I would love to have that kind of relationship with God where he's talking about the kingdom details and we're wrestling through that. Again, it, it, it seems like we need to ask this question. Are you part of the family business? Have you bought in? Or are you still working a job at Aunt Martha's? Or have you recognized he's inviting us that, that this is my family and this is God's agenda and, and it's more about simply me and my relationship with him but it's about what he's doing in this world. 
One more implication I want to talk to you about. We talked about intimacy. We talked about ownership. And at the very end, he talks about fruit. Let me just read that again to you. He says in verse 16, look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. He, this is a promise, another promise of, of power in prayer. And, and so the implication is that we're moving from fruit watching to fruit producing. We're moving from fruit watching to fruit producing. Let me put it this way. When I uh, chose a college, when I was 17, 18 years old, I, my first two years at Eastern Illinois University, they were, they were good years. I actually grew tremendously in the faith. It was a, a, a secular campus, and I connected with Christians there, and I was growing in leaps and bounds. In fact, my, my plan was to, um, to go to a Christian college, and then I was growing so much at Eastern Illinois University, I decided to, to stay there. In my junior year, there was a change. In my junior year, I began to see the campus in, in something, it dawned on me that maybe my college experience was not all about me. Did you catch that? It dawned on me that maybe my college experience was not all about me. That yes, God wanted to work in my soul, but God was on mission in my college campus. And that he wanted to serve and work and transform my soul, but he also wanted to transform the very culture of the college campus that I was a part of. And if I really wanted to experience soul growth and intimacy with God, that I would link what he was doing in my soul with what he was doing on my college campus. You see that? That, that I began, uh, I, he does have a plan. I had been at college for two years, oblivious to what he was doing on campus, how we, he was working in different groups of students, the message of the gospel that was present and being shared, the prayer that was hap happening, the discipleship that was happening. It was all about me. And then all of a sudden I realized, wow, God's at work on this campus. I, I think he wants me to join that work. Have you ever thought about that God, perhaps you living in the house and your neighborhood is not all about you, but it's about how God is working in your neighbors and your neighborhood? Have you ever thought about that your job where you work, your profession, it's not all about you and God working in your soul. That God has a plan, an agenda 
for your business or your school or wherever that is, the hospital, wherever that, that God is on the move. He has an agenda. He's at work and he's looking for people who understand that they don't want to just say, oh, that's good. God's working in that. But he wants people who are going to bear fruit in the mission field that he has placed us and planted us. You see that? that? That this idea that we get to join him and not just, we're not a family owner like maybe if we bought into the family and we've got a bunch of siblings and you know, the family business, that's not really my cup of tea. So um, yeah, that, that I'll let my siblings run the family business. I'll be part of the owner and part of, but yeah, that, that, that's not the dynamic here. The dynamic is, is he's saying, no, I'm inviting you to do the stuff. I'm inviting you to bear the fruit. I'm inviting you to be the hands and feet of my son, Jesus Christ, in wherever you are. When Paul, in this spiritual fathering relationship with Timothy, he mentions the gift and gifts that were granted to Timothy. He says this, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid but gives us power and love and self-discipline. He's saying, Timothy, you've received that gift. In fact, I was there. I laid hands on you. I prayed, right? But now you need to fan that into flames. You need to use that gift. Allow that gift to work out through you as an overflow and a blessing to people. That's what, and by the way, when you're doing that, I'm going to give you this powerful dynamic of answered prayer. And as you join me in mission, I'm going to hear you in a way that you've not experienced. And I'm going to grant that answered prayer for you in mission. Of course, it begs the question, are you fanning in the flames the kingdom work, the love of God, the gifts that you've been given? Do you know that? Or are you like, boy, this is an awesome gift. I love, thank you, God. Or are you using it as part of the family business? We uh, have given out these faith commitment cards. And we uh, gave them out last week. Some of you weren't here. If you would take those out of your bulletin, um, this is our way of asking um, the Lord what should be our level of engagement at the church? Uh, by the way, I know there's a couple of first-time visitors that are here. I don't think you need to fill this out. Don't feel any pressure. If this is your first time visiting, this is family business, right? So um, don't feel any, and no one should feel any guilt or compulsion to, to fill that out, but especially first-time visitors. Now, if you're visiting to us with a second time, well, welcome to the family. So pull this out and a pen. 
No, really, this is, um, we, we want this not to be, I honestly, I, I'm not gonna be tracking this. I don't, the, the deacons don't let me look at the finances that much. They just let that, this isn't about guilt. This is about being a part of the family business, really, okay? And I'm gonna give you just a few moments to um, pray and contemplate this. One is just, it's the idea of uh, um, talents, time, and treasure. And so as a family business, we're saying, as part of the family, what do we wanna give towards his kingdom work here? Right? And, and really, that's between you and God. We're not going to follow up and say, hey, by the way, you did. No, that, that is between you and God. Remember last week, we talked about um, buying friends. That's the one instance that Jesus encourages you to buy friends for life after death after life. Remember that? That, that was just his parable. I'm, all right? Buy friends for life after death after life. Here we're saying, what's it look like for you? What are the implications that you get to both worship God in reverence and walk with him as a friend? What are the implications that he says, you know, no longer will I call you servant because all the things that God, all the plans and his agenda for this world and this, this life and your neighborhood, and your workplace, all of that, that I will make known to you the Father's agenda for this world. And I'm gonna invite you to be a part of my work, to actually do the stuff, not in the stands. You get to go on the field and play ball, right? You, you get to step in there and do that. That's what this is about. Not about guilt, not, not about conviction. Um, just as we pass the, the baskets, you can drop that in with your normal tithes and offerings. So in just about a minute, give you time, would you ask the Lord, 2019, what's my level of engagement in the new year?